0: Matthew 1, 18 through 2:15, the birth of Jesus Christ. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be a child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel appeared to him in a dream, saying, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angels of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who hath been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, and take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son.
1: Well, preaching on Christmas Eve can be an an unenviable task, because... um, because you all come here, you come here with certain expectations. It's it's the the final hectic hours before Christmas. Um, We may or may not have a mountain of gifts that are not wrapped yet and not sure how the timeline's gonna lay out for them to actually get wrapped. We've been kind of running pretty hard. Maybe you have been too. This is part of your hectic hours before Christmas. Maybe you feel a little bit hectic just even make it here. This is, hey, this is one big thing on my last day, my Christmas Eve. There's one more hectic thing for me to do. We've all come here expecting something in particular. Maybe, maybe you come here and it's Christmas Eve and it's the Christmas Eve service and you come expecting a, a beautiful service that will sort of enhance your Christmas. Some of you may come here just out of tradition. It's Christmas Eve, it's at 10 o'clock, I can get it done, get out of here. Some of you, maybe a good bit of you, maybe you have come here in the middle of your harried, hectic, busy season, your harried, hectic, busy day, and, and you're, you're, you're asking me, remind me, please remind me what Christmas is supposed to mean to me. Please remind me what it's supposed to mean. But what if I told you, what if I told you that that I'm here this morning standing in front of you and this this day exists, tomorrow exists because of, because of a reality that is so powerful, a reality that is so powerful that, that if you understood it, it wouldn't just affect your life. It would upend your life. What if I told you that that the reality that we are here actually to, to, to observe, if you really understood it, it wouldn't just change the way that you live your life. A lot of things can change the way you live your life. You discover a new passion for coffee, a new passion for fashion, a new pas- passion for working out, and it can change your life. What if I told you it's a reality that's so powerful and so real that it doesn't just, wouldn't just change your life. It would completely alter what you consider life to be. This truth is so powerful that, it, that it's not like it's not like when you when you come here saying, "Hey, please remind me what Christmas means to me." It's sort of like it's like sort of like asking me to explain to a planet what the sun means to it. This truth is is so powerful. It doesn't enhance your life. It totally re-orbits your life around something else. It, it is such a powerful truth that, that you can leave here today, and no matter what the next 36 hours of your life hold, whether it, you're going to experience happiness or sadness in the next 36 hours, whether you're going to be Excited, or you're going to be filled with disappointment over the next 30, disappointment over the next thirty-six hours. This truth is so powerful that those things, if you truly understand it, those things won't have the same sway over you as they used to. Because you realize, if you understand it, you realize that you've been bought, brought into a totally different orbit. Your life revolves around a different object, and there is nothing. There is nothing. There is nothing, nothing, nothing. I'm here to tell you this is the reason I got up. This is the reason I exist. I got up here this morning to tell you there is nothing, 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 nothing more important than what you're going to hear now. Not because of me and my eloquence and my intelligence and my ability. There is nothing, nothing, nothing more important in your life because there is nothing that has the ability to so transform your life than this truth. And this truth isn't answering the question, what does Christian mean, what does Christmas mean to me or what should Christmas mean to me? It answers this more basic question and Tyson already hit on this morning, this question am I all alone in this world? That's the question it answers. Am I all alone in this world? Isn't that one of your deepest fears? Look, I hate heights. Some of you guys know that. If you ask me to get on a ladder... I suddenly become a whining little baby. That fear, I I just saw a, a video the other day of someone jumping out of an airplane. It was terrifying, just the video. But that fear is nothing compared to the fear that lies at the heart of all of us. Am I all alone in this world? Isn't that really what brings in the Christmas blues? This is the fear—not just that I'm not going to get the presents I want, or be around family because they're traveling, or they're not here, or we have a we have a spat, and we're not talking this Christmas. As sad as those things may be, those things ring deep into our soul because we're afraid that we are eternally and cosmically alone. Jesus' birth answers the deepest questions and the fears that we have: Am I all alone? Do I matter? Do I matter? Does my life, my existence, the things that I do, the, the person I am, does it actually matter, and what we're really saying, whether we believe in God or not, what we're, the echo in our soul really is, do I matter to God? Because we know everything around us is transitory. Every relationship, everything that we own, every possession, everything that we, that the, every success, succession that we have, everything that we succeed at, everything that we achieve, we know, internally we know those things do not last. And the question is, do I matter to God? And that one event, that one event, a baby born in a stable, it sounds like a resounding gong for all eternity, answering those questions and those fears. Listen again from the passage that, that Hannah read for us. L- listen to again how the angel, the, remember, an angel is a messenger of God himself. The only thing to communicate is directly from the mouth of God. This is what the angel said to Joseph whenever he was talking about what was happening. But as he, as Joseph, considered these things, Matthew one twenty, that is that his betrothed wife is pregnant and he and she have not slept together. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. That's the first thing I want you to underline. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And this is the money verse. This is the payoff. Behold the virgin. Remember that was prophesied maybe 700 years before this happened. Behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's the truth. That's the truth that turned the world on its head. That's the truth that can upend your life. Jesus, the child born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem, is the son of God. And he has come to be, this is what the angel said, this is the message from God himself. He has come to be God with us. You are not alone. You are not alone. This is what the message says, and you matter. You are not alone, and you matter. You matter to God. But before we skip ahead and talk to more about what that means, if you've noticed, I've been calling it a truth, right? I've called it a powerful truth. I've called it the, the powerful truth. It really is the powerful truth of all eternity, of, at least as we know, of all existence, of all the history of the world. The truth, the eternal powerful truth is God came, the son of God came to be God with us. And, and I've called it a truth because it's not just a belief. It, it is a belief, you, you must believe it, or, or rather you must believe in Jesus, you must believe him to, to be the son of God in order to experience his power, but it's not a blind belief. Isn't that sometimes what we think about a belief is? Sort of a, bl- a blind step. But maybe you're here and you're a, you're a skeptic of Christianity and you're like, yeah, you guys are willing to take a blind step. I'm, I'm a person of truth, I'm a person of facts. But it's not a belief that's a a blind belief. It's a belief that's based on facts. It's a belief that's based on actual historical events. And, And those events are remarkable and incredible, but they're still true. And if they are, and th- this is what it means. If they are, if the, the story, the events surrounding this scene behind me, if they are true, as remarkable and as incredible as they, be, as they may be, then this must be the Son of God. If the events that we, have, that we just read, that were just read for us, are true, then the Christ child, Jesus, the peasant that was born of Mary in the stable, then he must be the son of God. I want you to consider this. There's never been a birth like this before or since. There's nothing like it. The story goes that a a virgin had an angel appear to her, told her that though she has never been with a man, that the spirit of God would overshadow her or envelop her and she would conceive a child. And then she went and visited her her elderly, previously barren cousin, who is now herself pregnant. A miracle. And this woman who is pregnant, who has been told that she is pregnant with the, the forerunner of the expected, awaited Messiah or Savior, when Mary enters Elizabeth, her cousin says, How blessed am I that the mother of my Lord, my God, would visit me. That's not something a Hebrew woman, a wife of a priest of the Levitical tribe would say. Never. And then... For betrothed husband who, it would be shameful for him, would be wrong for him to take a woman who is with child by another man. When he finds out he's pregnant, he's gonna quietly put her away whenever he hears about it, but he has a dream and an angel appears to him. We just read it and said, don't do it. This is the work of God. Then whenever they get to Bethlehem and the baby is born in the stable, angels announce the birth. To shepherds it would be the last group of people at the time that you would announce such a thing to. And not just the angel. The angel said, but listen to what the angel said. This is, I want you to hear this before we go on. He said, I bring you good news of great joy for all people, for unto you, to you, to you, to you sitting in that chair, to you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then they said, hold on what the sign would be, what they would find, it would be wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then suddenly a host, an army of angels appeared and praised God and said, this is why we're praising glory to God in the highest, and here's why. This is what's remarkable about this night. They're always praising God before the throne of God. Unending, ages, eons upon eons, the angels are before the throne celebrating, but why did they appear in a a pasture to shepherds to sing? They said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace and goodwill to men. You matter. You matter. You matter. And then, as the baby starts to grow into a young child, these wise rulers, wise men from the east, from another pagan society, come and visit. And they come in order to not just to say, hey, we saw this. We want to know what's going on. They come to worship him. To acknowledge this baby as God. And in doing so, what we see is dozens of Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled. That the child will be born of a virgin, he'll be born in Bethlehem, he'll be called to Egypt, and he'll live in Galilee among dozens of others. There's no birth like his. There's there's no claim in history that's greater than the claim that was made about him. The angel told Mary, He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And when she said, how is this going to happen to me? He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. There's no no claim in history. Greater than that, that, the child of a poor peasant couple would be the Son of God himself. There's no birth like it, there's no claim like it, and there was no life like his. Before we get to that, look at the predominant response of the people who are involved in the story when Jesus when he was younger. Look at how they responded. They either responded in hatred and unbelief like Herod, or they respond, responded in wonder and awe and worship. There's no in between. You can hate Christ and you can disbelieve in him, or you can stand in wonder and awe and worship of him, but there's no in between. The response of Zachariah, who was a priest at the time, he worshiped God whenever he heard what had happened. Whenever his son was born and he had, Mary had come and visited them, he stood in wonder that, that John, his son, would make it, be a forerunner of the Messiah, that this Messiah was here to save. Elizabeth told Mary, behold, the mother of my Lord is here to visit me. Mary worshiped the, the God who had placed the child in herself. Mary herself, later in her life, would worship him. Joseph stood in awe and worshiped. The angels worshiped him. The wise men worshiped him. When Joseph and Mary bring Jesus to the temple to present him, Simeon, who had been waiting for the consolation of Israel in the temple day by day by day, whenever he was brought in, he said, behold, this is the child. And Anna, a prophetess who'd been waiting in the temple as well, she said, this is him. There's never been a birth like his, there's never been a life like his. You know what's remarkable is the story of Jesus, if you think like, oh, it was sort of a myth, it was kind of his followers kind of added on over time, but nobody ever claimed that Jesus did them wrong. Nobody ever came forward and said, you know, he cheated me. He, he lied to me that one time whenever he was a kid. I grew up next to him. He, uh, we, we played checkers and, and I, I turned my back and I turned back around and I, I thought a piece had been moved and he lied to me. I know he moved it. Nobody said ever he ever cheated me in a deal as he was doing carpentry work for me. His mother, father, brothers never came and said, this man, we we lived with him, we know what he has done wrong. None of his disciples, none of the people around him ever claimed that he did wrong. The people around him marveled at his teaching. He taught, they said, as one who had authority. They marveled at his healings and his miracles. They realized there was nothing outside his power. His disciples were flabbergasted that one day they were in a, a boat in the middle of a storm. They were experienced fishermen, a number of them, and a terrible storm came on. They, they knew they were going to die. And Jesus comes up and he speaks, and the wind and the waves stop. And they say, Who is this man that even the, the wind and the waves obey him? Whenever one of his best friends had been dead for four days, he shows up and he, his, the man's sisters, one of his best, two of his best friends, they said, we know if you had been here. This is what they knew about him. They said, we know if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. But just to one up and show, hey, I'm even more powerful than that. He had to move the stone. He spoke and a, the dead man came out of the tomb after being dead for four days. He was confessed by those who knew him well after his death and his resurrection to be the messiah even before his death and resurrection actually by some of them to be the messiah the savior of the world he was confessed to be the son of god by some of those who were closest to him anybody around you going to like say hey this could be the son of god there was never a life like his there's never a death like his his death was predicted long before by the prophets Jesus himself predicted what his death on the cross. He described it one time. He said, the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, must be lifted up like Moses lifted up a servant on a stick that all who look upon him or believe in him might be saved. He saw his death as the way to save us. He was confirmed dead by the Romans and the Jews. but Yet he rose from the dead on the third day. And... Dozens and dozens and dozens of people witnessed. Hundreds of people witnessed him as being alive after his his resurrection. There were witnesses that saw him ascend to heaven. There's no death like his. There's no birth like his. There's no life like his. There's no death like his. There was never a legacy like his. His mother and brothers, after he rose again, they worshipped him as Lord. James, his half-brother, called him, my Lord, my Lord. that his disciples who had lived with him for three years, they worshiped him as Lord and God and King. Their nature of their lives are changed. We see their character go from one type to a totally different type afterwards. Those who believed in him claimed to have found eternal life and joy and peace and hope and considered no risk to be great in order to follow him and to proclaim his gospel. Think about what was said to him before, about him before his birth and what was said about him after he died. The, the angel said, he will be called the son of the most high. The child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. That's what was pronounced by an angel to Joseph before he was born. And then think about what happened at the end of his death. The Roman centurion stood by and said, surely what? Surely this man was the Son of God. It was never a life like his, never a birth like his, never a death like his, never a legacy like his, and never were there promises like his. He promised that whenever he rose again and ascended to heaven, that he would pour out his spirit upon us. He said that his, his spirit, his holy spirit, would be in those who believe. He promised to never leave or forsake those who are his, and that he would come or advent again for his children. And if all that is true, and much more than that is true, then, this is what it means, then he must be God with us. See, I know your greatest fear. You already touched on it. It's mine too. Your greatest, your deepest fear is that we are all alone. That my greatest fear is that that me, who who I am, what I do, doesn't matter. Isn't that true? You don't have to nod your head. I know it to be true of you. Who I am, what I do, doesn't matter, that, that, that I'm not truly loved and truly cared for. And even if there are people around me that I am convinced, and many of us aren't even convinced of this, but if there are those around me who I'm convinced love me and care for me, that those who do love and care for me are going to just fade away and And my fear is that I am cosmically alone. But if Jesus is the Son of God, if the baby born in that manger that lived that life, died that death, left that legacy, and gave us those promises, If that boy, if that man was the Son of God, then here's what it means. We're not left alone. We, and we can know that we aren't left alone because the Son of God came for us. It was no small thing, it's the wonder of Not only of earth, but it's the wonder of heaven that the the eternal Son of God who has existed, begotten of God for all eternity, that that he could lower himself and take on mankind and God, the Son of God, could become a human being. How does that happen? We have no idea. It is an incredible mystery. Angels wonder at it. Apostles wondered at it. We wonder at it. We cannot understand it. But if it's true, then here's what it means. That as incredible, as amazing, as mind-boggling as it is, it means that He came for us. He left heaven. He left glory. Took on flesh. Became a helpless babe for us. We know that we're not alone because the Son of God came for us, and the Son of God became man for us. Think of what that means. Being a human is humbling at times, isn't it? Our bodies don't work quite right. We can't put ourselves together and then on top of that, that's at our height. And then as we age, then things continually break down more and more. But God didn't just come for us. He didn't just appear like a man for us. He became or took on humanity for us. Your God, the God, of all creation who holds the universe together by the word of his power. That God had knees. Maybe they creaked when he walked upstairs like mine. He had ankles. Maybe they click like mine do sometimes. He had a throat. Maybe it got sore like mine does sometimes. But only that But he right now has a knee and an ankle and a throat. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is seated at the right hand of the Father. We know that we matter because he took on flesh and exalted our flesh to his right side. We know that we're not alone because the Son of God is still man for us. But that's not it. That is incredible enough. We could have lectures and sermons and write books just about that. They have been written, they have been done, and we still cannot touch on the wonder that that is. But that's not it. Because here, here's what I want you to get this morning. Jesus didn't just make a pit stop here and move on. The angel, here's what the angel didn't say. Notice what the angel didn't say. The angel didn't say, God will be with you for about 30 years. and Then he'll leave. He, he didn't say, God will be you for, for a, a short bit and then leave for a long time and then he'll, then he'll come again. that what he said? What did he say? He said, his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, Jesus didn't just come to forgive your sins, though he did. He didn't come just to die on the cross for you, though he did. He didn't just come ascend to heaven and promise, hey, I'll catch you guys on the flippity flip. I've given you a some forgiveness. I've shown you that I care. Um, I'll catch you back later at an appointed time that I'm not going to tell you about. And uh, just kind of hang on, hang loose until, until I get around to it and I'll come back for you. Like, like some sort of, you guys remember Layaway? Anybody remember Layaway? Some of you kids don't. Like, hey, I, I'm gonna, I got some money down. I'm going to come back. on and get you later. Some of you guys were too wealthy to know what Layaway, layaway was. He came to dwell with us. And even more than that, he came to dwell within us. A fellowship that's, that's so close. A union that's, that's so real and, and, and so, so deep that that He would speak to us. The God of heaven, the God who created everything, would speak to us. He promised that He would lead us. Not, not just by providence and not just by afar, but He would, he would personally speak to to us and that He would lead us, He promised that He would empower us. Did did you know that as much as God is calling you to live a holy life, He's not calling you to lead a holy life? He's calling you to to lean into your weakness and let Him empower His holiness, His goodness, his love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness in you. He said he would correct us. That he would change us from the inside out. How many of you live long enough that you know, like, I'm going to make a New, Year's correction, a New Year's resolution in about a week, and it will last about a week. And I can't... And that's not even counting the worst things about myself. I can't figure out how to change those things. The gospel is, you may not be able to change them. You probably cannot change them. You cannot change them in order to endear yourself to Him. He loves you in your weakness, in your sin, in your mess. And if you yield to Him, He will give you the power in order to find A path to change. He said he would give us communion as a close union relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He described, it's described to us as his spirit within our spirit crying out within us, Abba, Father. In other words, giving us a sense in our heart, not just that, hey, look to the cross and know that you matter, but His Spirit within inside us crying out, Abba, Father, where I know He is my adopted, beloved, heavenly Father. I am His, and He is mine. Do you know that God is with you? Do you know that he is within you? Do you see how this truth is so so powerful? God with us, it turns our existence up, upside down. Do you see how it could change everything about your life if you realized and knew and understood that God is not just with us in the past, but he is with us now, his spirit. Christian, do you see how you can, how it can continue to change you, change how you think and feel about life if you increasingly grow in understanding that God is with us? If that's true, if that's true, what can man do to me? If God is with me, George, what can man do to me? What's the worst thing that can happen in my life? You guys fire me. I lose my job, I lose my house, my wife leave me. I, something terrible happens to my kids. I get a terrible disease. What, what's the worst thing that can happen to me? You know what those things do? It's just temporary. Because if God is with me, I know I matter to him. If the Son of God, when His human form is sitting at the right hand of the Father, I know that He will take me there. And if God is with me in this presence of His Holy Spirit, then even as terrible as those things may, ha- as may be, as hard as things might happen as I go through, as tears, as deep, terrible tears that I cry, I can know in my soul He is with me. Holding me up, Keeping me. What can man do to me? Can height or death or length or width, can, what can separate me from the love of God? Christ is at the right hand of the Father and His Spirit was, is within me. Telling me that no matter what terrible things happen, I'm yours, you are mine. I am yours and you are mine. I belong to you and you belong to me. I will be with you, I will never forsake you. Even to the end of the world, I will be with you. Though mountains crumble, though economics rise or fall, though our nation rises and falls, your household rises and falls, your your income rises and falls, I will be with you. Psalm 23. Though I'm walking in the, the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Though there, there are enemies encamped around me, I will not fear them. Why? Because, yes, there's, the Lord is spreading a table before me in the presence of my enemies. But why do I not fear? Because he is with me. Because I know if he is with me, he will lead me beside still waters. He will take me to green grass. He will spread a table he, just, to, just to show terrible, the world falling down around me, tears falling out of my ears. In my soul, I can have a feast there because he is with me. His rod and His staff cover me. Why? Because, because they're a part of Him. And He is well able to hold me and to keep me. God is with us. The events, the historical events of Jesus Christ's coming, of the virgin birth, of His, of his life, His death, all the promises He made are all underscoring, I have made a way to be with you. I matter. God has promised to make all things right again through Jesus. The passage that Tyson opened the the service with this morning is talking about how the the Son of God, the Messiah, will come and he will make all things that are wrong, he will make them right. Right. There is nothing truly wrong that he won't make right. There's no injustice that he won't take care of. There is no one that he will overlook. But yet his greatest promise is this. I'll be with you. Beginning of his life, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. At the end of his life, behold, I'm with you always. Always even to the end of the age. Here's what I'm saying as I'm closing. God isn't with us metaphorically. He is with us, with us. He is with us, with us. This is Christianity. Christianity isn't only Christ was born a virgin, Christ died for our sins, and Christ rose again. But because Christ came and did all those things, the same spirit that overshadowed the Virgin Mary and caused her to conceive will bring life to your dead soul. The same spirit that empowered Christ and his ministry will empower you, and the same spirit that raised him from the dead will bring life to your mortal body. You can have conscious, I want you to hear this. You can have conscious fellowship with your Creator. And if you don't know that, or if you're not experiencing that, you can. Because Jesus, the baby born in the stable, He's the Son of God. And all you have to do, believer, non-believer, is ask him today. And what will your response be? It'll be like Mary and Joseph and Zechariah and Elizabeth and the shepherds and the wise men. Wonder and awe and worship. Worship. Because God is with us. What I want you to experience this Christmas is not a more peaceful holiday. I want you to experience God with us. God with you. You are not cosmically alone. You matter to Him. If you've never experienced that type of communion with God where you know that He is with you, no matter whether you've confessed Him or not or been around church, maybe you're not a Christian. And today on Christmas Eve, 2023, Be the day that changes. It's not by you saying, I'm going to leave here and be better, do better, I'm going to read my Bible in 2024. It's just simply closing your eyes. You don't have to close your eyes, but close your eyes and asking Him, Would you show yourself to me, Son of God? If you're a believer, I pray God's spirit would descend upon you now. And you would sense his spirit crying out in your spirit, Abba Father. Because he's with you. and You matter. And nobody can take that away from you. I'm going to pray and we're going to celebrate Christmas communion together. There'll be two stations, one here and one here. As you see fit, you can come forward and partake Take the blood, the body of Christ, the the bread and the juice and return back to your seat. Come up the middle aisles, come back to the the outside and uh, the just will come up and lead us in communion together. Father, I thank you that you are with us. Show us that to be true. Show it in each heart and show us in the bread and juice fellowship of saints this morning.